Amos chapter 7 is where we're going to be at tonight. And um, a lot of what we're seeing in the book of Amos, remember kind of starting out, God is pronouncing judgment on Israel. And there, were, of course, there was other places in the book of Amos that God pronounced judgment on because God was about to use the Assyrians to bring some judgment to a lot of places. And of course, uh, Israel, if they had behaved themselves, if they had stayed right with the Lord, uh, they would have just taken care of their enemies. But instead, they're going to get to participate in the judgment too. And the last couple weeks, we've kind of looked and we've seen how um, God is he is pronouncing this judgment on them that they're not going to get out of. We see that God is leaving space, though, for a remnant, which is a common thing that we see throughout the Bible. And we see how he does that with Israel. But we, you know, not only does he do that with Israel, I believe he does that with any nation. That as bad as they might be, God does not tell any group. There's no, uh, no nation on this world where people cannot get saved. There is no nation. Um, you know, Jesus came for the whole world. And he'll save people from every tribe and every nation. And that's why we need to get the gospel to the whole world, trying to reach that remnant out there. There's clearly not a group out there today. There's not a race. There's not a nation out there today that has a majority of saved people. And I think it's safe to say that America is probably the most Christian nation that there is right now. But yet, it's very clear that we are not a majority. Uh, there's a, a, a majority of our country is not saved. So God, he always works with that remnant. But let's go ahead, though, and uh, I think we see some interesting things here in Amos chapter 7. And Amos chapter 7, is, it's pretty to the point as far as what it's talking about. But let's go and read the first six verses to get started. And it says, Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth, and lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. And it came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, then I said, O Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The Lord repented for this. It shall not be, saith the Lord. So notice how Amos kind of comes to bat for Israel. Okay, God's got the, he's, he's planning this judgment on him. And Amos kind of intercedes and God stops. The Lord repents. Okay, He changes his mind on that. And then verse 4 says, Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire. And it devoured the great deep and did eat up a part. Then said I, O Lord God, cease, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The Lord repented for this. This also shall not be, saith the Lord God. So you can see again here how you know God's kind of showing Amos how he's going to deal with them and how he's going to destroy them. And Amos stepped, you know, he comes forward and he's like, you know, Lord, don't do that. And I think Amos' attitude that he has right here is of great attitude. And we see other people in the Bible who had that same attitude. Men like Abraham, when God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abra notice how Abraham stepped in and he's like hey and notice how abraham too he didn't necessarily go to bat for the sodomites what did he say to god he said you know wilt thou destroy the righteous with the wicked okay abraham wasn't worried about the sodomites he was worried about lot okay he had somebody there in that city that he loved and you know what that love that he had it caused him to kind of step in and get God to basically lower the, you know, God said, well, fine, I won't destroy it for 50 righteous. But even then he kept going and got it to go all the way down to 10. And notice too how Abraham, he never asked for it to go lower than 10. And I think that's interesting because one of the things that we see in the Bible, and we're not going to take time to go and look at all the examples, whenever people would intercede, and try to get God to hold off his judgment, God was always giving the people what they asked for. And I think there's a good lesson there for us. You know, you mentioned the one you're praying for who's 90 years old. You know, we ought to, we ought to if, if we love people, we ought to step up and, and pray, hey, you know, intercede on their behalf and say, hey, Lord, you know, give them more time. Lord, you know, save them. Lord, give me an opportunity to witness to these people. Kind of have that attitude, you know, and have that love for people that will cause us to intercede. That's what Abraham did. He was motivated by his love for Lot. We see Moses did the same thing with the children of Israel. After they sinned and God said, I'm going to destroy all of them and I'm going to start over with you. 
Moses interceded. He stepped in and, you know, and he said, you know what? Blot me out of your book. That's what, that was Moses' attitude. Moses had the same attitude for his people. Why? Because he loved, those were his people. Those were his, that was, that was his nation. Those were his brethren according to the flesh. We see the Apostle Paul had the same attitude when it came to Israel. I could wish that myself were accursed. Why? Those were his people. Those were his, his family. He had a burden for them and he interceded. We see in the book of Habakkuk where at first, we, when, when Habakkuk, is, if you read chapter 1, he's like calling out to God saying, Lord, why aren't you dealing with Israel? And then God tells him, basically, I'm raising up the Assyrians, which is kind of what we're reading about here in chapter 7. When, when Habakkuk found out what God was going to do to Israel, then all of a sudden Habakkuk changed his tune and he starts saying, hey, you know, hold off, you know, or can you, uh, you know, show mercy, Lord, remember mercy. He's trying to get God to, or he's interceding on behalf of Israel. Jeremiah was the same way. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. He was one that he knew that Israel deserved judgment, but yet here he is, he's, you know, he's praying, he's wanting God to remember mercy. And then, of course, Jesus Christ is the greatest example of that. Here we've got God's wrath coming down on us. We deserve it because we're sinners. But Jesus Christ, he steps in. Jesus Christ, he pays for our sins. And even now, he makes intercession for us. Even now, we, even though we're the children of God, and we're saved. You know, we still mess up. We still sin. But we have an advocate with the Father when we sin. And thank God we have that. And you know, I think Christians, we need to have that same kind of attitude with people. We need to have that same kind of attitude where we're praying on behalf of other people. There's people that maybe that you love. Maybe you've got family members or co-workers or friends. You know, they're not praying. They're not looking for forgiveness. They're just living in sin and they don't care about what's to come. But you know what we ought to do is we ought to be praying for them and going to bat for them and saying, hey, Lord, be merciful to them. Lord, give them more time. Lord, don't let anything happen to them. Because, and we ought to have that attitude. Habakkuk, when he found out what was coming for Israel, he got scared. Amos here in chapter 7, when he sees what God's planning on doing, he gets scared for them. Well, we know what God's planning on doing to those who don't get saved, don't we? They're going to go to hell. And they're eventually going to be cast into a lake of fire. So why wouldn't we have the same attitude? Why wouldn't we you know, be going to bat for people and be praying for other people, calling out their name to the Lord? I think we need a lot more of that going on in Christianity today. And we see that kind of thing went on in the Bible. That was one of the things that the prophets did. And uh, go over and turn over to Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. But I, do, I believe we ought to have the same attitude... Whenever we see, uh, whenever we see judgment coming on people, uh, it says in Romans eight twenty six, it says likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. We you know, thankfully we have the Holy Spirit that helps us pray. Thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit that kind of helps interpret our prayers because we don't always even know what we're supposed to pray for. And you realize that a lot of these people out there in the world that we're talking about, our friends, our family members, our co-workers, the people that we love, in their own way, they're trying to get to heaven. In their own way, they're trying to work for heaven, but they don't know what they're doing. You know, they're trying to be good people. They're trying to live a good life in the hope that if there is an afterlife, that they'll end up in a good place instead of the bad place. You and I, we 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 know we we understand more than they do. Okay, we know what the Bible says. We understand what they're thinking. We ought to be willing to go and just kind of go to bat for them. Say, hey, Lord, you know they're trying. They they don't know what they're doing. Lord, help me get the, get this message across to them. You know, Lord, in their own way, yeah, they went to they went to the Catholic Church and they got sprinkled. Lord, I know that's got to make you sick. They're trying to work their way to heaven. But understand that they are, they've been blinded. They, you know, they, they can't see. Lord, let your light shine in their lives. Lord, use me to shine a light. Kind of, kind of interpret things for them. 
Go to, go to bat for them. Verse 27, it says, And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called, and whom He called, them He also justified, and whom He justified, them He also glorified. What should we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for, for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So notice that when it comes to what we needed, all right, that intercession that we needed, God gave his son to make up for our sins and to pay for our sins. If God's willing to give His own Son, what else would He not give? That's what, he, that's what He's saying right there. And then notice what it says too. Okay, And so we've got the Holy Spirit kind of making intercession for us. We've got Jesus Christ making intercession for us. It was God that sent Jesus so He could be an intercession, uh, an intercessor for us. So we've got all that going for us. And then it says in here, you know, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is, it is God that justified. All right? So, what are they going to charge us with? We're not going to heaven by our works. We're going to heaven by the works of Jesus Christ. So, there is nothing they can lay to our charge. We're justified by Him. Okay? And, it, and it's because Jesus Christ died for us. He's the one making intercession for us. So, understand, we have, I mean, we have everything that we could possibly need at our disposal when it comes to making intercession for other people. We ought to be making intercession for this town. I say, yeah, Lord, I know this town's a wreck. Yeah, Lord, I saw one of those you know, freak shows at McDonald's the other day. Where, you know, a guy wearing yoga pants and a lady shirt and high heels and makeup. I saw one of those the other day. Lord, don't rain fire and brimstone down. On you know on Sterling Rock Falls, you know, Lord, they're not all reprobate. You know, there are some righteous here. Lord, our town it deserves to be destroyed. You know, our schools deserve to be you know destroyed with the wickedness. But Lord, we've got some kids in there that they need to get saved. There's some saved kids who are in there. Maybe can't help it. You know, Lord, you know, please show mercy. You know, Lord, go ahead and and can you just can you just bless our town anyway? Can you just bless our town? You know to it, on behalf of the righteous who are here, on behalf of those who are serving you, on behalf of those who actually are, you know, giving their tithes and their offerings, Lord, bless our town for them. There's nothing wrong with us ask for uh, with us asking for those things and making an intercession. We ought to we ought to do those things. But unfortunately, we've got a lot of people today. You know, they. The thing where they mess up, they'll do that. They'll make intercession on behalf of people, but they never want to acknowledge the sin. And one thing we see in the Bible, too, and in many areas where people are making intercession, is they'll point out the sins. You know, they'll, they'll confess the sins. We see in Israel, they were constantly, you know, they would, they often when they would have revival, they would confess the sins of their fathers. They would confess the sins that were going on. Daniel, when Daniel prayed, when guys like Ezra prayed, he was praying as though he was the one participating in the sins. You know, he was saying we, even though they as individuals weren't doing those things, that was the kind of attitude that they had. They had an attitude that, hey, if you know judgment comes on us, I'm going down with it because I'm a part of these people. And we need to have that same attitude. Too many Christians today, I'm afraid because you know we, we know that the rapture is coming one of these days. You know, we've just got this attitude that, you know, well, who cares when judgment comes? I'm going to get pulled out of here anyway. But there's no reason why God couldn't judge our nation before the rapture. There's no reason for him to wait until the tribulation to judge America. So why don't we make intercession? Isn't it? I mean, it's pretty obvious we're asking for it. But is any, any of you want to live through the judgment that we deserve? I sure don't. You know what? I want mercy. That's what I want. So I'm not, I'm not going to call or necessarily pray for God to bring the judgment. I'm going to pray for mercy. 
And I'm going to pray that he'll, if he does bring judgment, that he will spare the remnant. And so look at what it says in verse 7. It's so uh, he says, Then thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line with the plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line. Then said the Lord, behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. All right. So we see he sees this vision. There's this plumb line. And that was something they would use. One of the things I was reading about it. It was like they had like a heavy object on the bottom of a large string and they would hang that and it was a way they would they could keep the wall straight. You know, they didn't have all the fancy levels and lasers and things like we do today. So they would have that plumb line and that was something they would use to just build to keep their wall straight. And right and we see though this wall he's talking about what I believe he's showing here is obviously a vision, it's kind of symbolic. And basically what God's doing right here is he's saying, Okay, because you've made intercession, what I'm going to do, I'm going to kind of build this wall, figuratively speaking, and I'm going to separate judgment. I'm going to come after the northern kingdom instead of the southern kingdom. Because in the previous chapters, we saw where God was pronouncing judgment on uh, Israel or the northern kingdom, but he was also pronouncing judgment on Judah, the southern kingdom. And we see in the Bible where Judah... They did have a revival. They did get right, and judgment was spared for them. They were not they they were not defeated by the Assyrians. God protected them from the Assyrians, but the northern kingdom was not. They were defeated by the Assyrians. What was the difference? Okay, the Assyrians were very powerful. They should have been able to wipe both of them out. You know why? Because God put a separation there. Because and and I believe partially because of guys like Amos kind of interceding for them. And partially, too, because of the fact that the southern kingdom, they did get right. Some good kings rose up that got rid of some of the sin in the land. God said, okay, the northern, but the northern kingdom is getting theirs. And we saw in some of the previous passages, too, where God had told that, you know, in, in those prophecies, we saw how there was no turning back. Those judgments that he had pronounced on that northern kingdom, God said there is no going back. But then we would see kind of something there for a remnant. And I believe what we're seeing right here is kind of how God protected the remnant. I believe they were protected in the southern kingdom. And if anybody wanted to, anybody who was going to heed the words of Amos and listen to him, they were able to, they, they could have ran to the southern kingdom. They could have went there and been protected from the Assyrians. But obviously those who uh, weren't going to believe God and weren't going to believe Amos. They're going to stay in the northern kingdom and eventually get de uh, defeated. And that's exactly what happened. So that because the judgment, remember, because the judgment that God had pronounced, there was no turning back from that judgment. But everyone didn't have to be destroyed. And so God, he spared a remnant. And he he divided them. And uh, in the southern kingdom, they, they were spared. So look at verse 10. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, the king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. Now notice in this how Amos, he's getting accused of conspiring against Israel. Now, what had Amos just done? Okay, Amos had just been going to bat for Israel, hadn't he? Okay, God is God's telling Amos, "This is what I'm going to do to Israel." Amos, he's trying to get God to not do that to Israel. He's trying to get God to be merciful to Israel. God ends up because of Amos ends up, you know, only judging a certain part instead of everybody. And then what do they do? But Amos, all he's doing is he's just being God's mouthpiece. He's letting people know what God said. And then here he goes by a priest and he's, being, he's getting accused of conspiring against them. And he's saying the people aren't able to bear his words. You know what? The people didn't like what the prophet was preaching. All he was, and it's very clear in this passage. Was these Amos's words? Was this what Amos wanted? But yet, who are they blaming for it? 
They're playing Amos. And that's something that we see throughout the Bible where God would send a prophet, God would send a messenger, and you know what? They can't beat up on God, so what do they do? They beat up on the messenger. They persecute the prophets. Jeremiah, that happened to him. What's he doing? He's just telling the king what God told him to tell him. And what happens to him? He gets thrown in the dungeon. Remember Micaiah the prophet? He went and he just... First, they, 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 they tell him, all right, you come prophesy to us. But they tell him, now they try to tell him, you make sure you agree with all the other prophets. And then he just kind of, in a, you know, the way I read that in a smart aleck way, he just, he prophesies to him in a positive way. It's like they knew he wasn't telling the truth. And then finally, okay, he tells them the truth. And then what do they do? They come and they smack him in the face. I mean, it's just amazing. These people, they act, you know, there's people sitting in churches today, they act like they want to preach, or they act like they want a pastor that preaches the truth, that preaches the Word of God, but then a pastor does preach the Word of God, and what happens? They throw a fit. You know why? Because they're just like Israel. And we, we just saw that happen with Pastor Boyle's church. I mean, here this guy is. What's he just trying to do? He's just trying to preach the truth. And then he's got a bunch of these just lame, pathetic, you know, mossback, deacon-type Baptists that have just never done anything for God, never will do anything for God. And what do they do? They lead a rebellion against him. They lead a rebellion against him. They fight against him. They attack him. They end up throwing, basically throwing him out of his church. And you know what? Just because just he's trying to tell the truth. You know, they wanted him to tickle their ears, apparently. And there's a lot of churches like that today. And if you go and you ask, if you ask these, these same people who threw them out, you know, hey, what are you looking for for an ex-pastor? You know, do you want somebody that preaches the Word of God? Oh, yeah, we want somebody that preaches the Word of God. But then watch him throw a fit when he does preach the, preach the Word of God. And Israel is the same way. You know, they, they would constantly do that. They all would send that prophet, and then they fight against him. Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. Jesus speaking says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the, excuse me, killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not behold your houses left unto you desolate. So throughout Israel's history, God would send prophets like Amos to Israel to just tell them God's words, to tell them what God had to say. And then they would fight against that prophet, not understanding that they were really fighting against God. And let me tell you something. Any church that throws their pastor out because he's preaching the word of God is throwing God out of their church. I'm not saying a pastor is God. Okay, Pastors are far from God. But if all the pastor is doing is preaching the word of God and delivering God's message, they're throwing God out of the church. They're taking God out of the church. And that is, that is a fact, and that's exactly what they did in Israel's day, and we see that over and over again. We see with Elijah. You know, Ahab said, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Called him a tro- the troubler of Israel. What did Elijah do? He's just God's messenger. He's just telling him exactly what God said, and yet he's attacking him. He's got Jezebel trying to hunt him down. He's got Jezebel trying to kill him. And, and isn't it amazing... The way people today just, you know, the world wants to silence that opposition all the time. The way, you know, I heard in South Carolina, they just passed a law making it illegal to speak against Israel. And, I mean, what in the world? When I heard about that, I was like, you know, we need to have our marching design conference in South Carolina. I heard about that. Uh, I'd, I would love to do that. And I, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be all over that like ugly on an eight. If they want to do, I don't know how they can even do that. I don't, I don't know how they could. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that law. But unfortunately, South Carolina, it's in the Schofield Bible Belt, and I don't know, I don't know of anybody in South Carolina that will be preaching anything against Israel. They're pretty corrupted down there, and what's not just completely corrupted is completely weak and pathetic. And that's sad because there are a lot of Baptist churches in South Carolina. But I tell you what, I'll be interested in seeing if any, any preachers in South Carolina step up and preach against the garbage of Zionism and the wickedness that's going on in Israel. Uh, because, but unfortunately, Schofield has uh, taken over that, that part 
of the country. And uh, but uh, I'm praying maybe this will wake people up. That, that's what I'm praying. They did it, but the world. And you know what? You, who's been the number one silencer of opposition? It's always been the Jews. Isn't it interesting that it's things like you know, what, you can speak against Russia all you want. Why not Israel? Speak against China, Canada, America. I mean, think about that. In South Carolina, you can speak against America, but you can't speak against Israel. And they say it's conspiracy when we say Jews are the ones running our country. Uh, I don't know. That's interesting there. But who was it that was always killing people for speaking against them? It was always the Jews that did that. You know, you know how many countries it's illegal to even deny the Holocaust? It's illegal in many countries. In Canada, it is illegal to deny, and not even just deny the Holocaust, but just the official story of the Holocaust. If you start deny, if you start just doubting things and spreading that, you can get arrested. Now, would they, would they do? You know, we can we can talk. You know, what if somebody wanted to doubt the Inquisitions? I wonder if that's illegal in any country. And they say that it's a conspiracy that Jews are the ones running the world. You know, people better wake up, alright? This stuff's pretty obvious. The Jews haven't changed one bit. And you know what? They would kill people like me today if they could get away with it. They would, it would so fast. And think about this. Even in Israel, alright? In the Holy Land, it's illegal to evangelize. You, you'll get arrested if you try to pass out tracts. In Israel, where soul winning was started, it's illegal to do it there right now. Why is that? Well, because it's being run by the Jews. So just you know, just uh, some interesting food for thought there. But notice how these in, in verse ten, eleven, you know, they they couldn't handle it. it. Says the people, they they can't bear it. This is making people uncomfortable. This is making them nervous. Well, it should. There, it should make them nervous. Judgment's coming. The Assyrians are coming, and they're going to kill you. They're going to destroy you. They're going to take over. But you know what? Not all of you have to go down with the entire nation. God's going to spare a remnant. You know what? Get out of this northern kingdom. Go down to the southern kingdom where they're having some revival. Go there before it's too late. But they couldn't handle it. And instead of just them seeing themselves as the bad guy, they made Amos out to be the bad guy. You know what? We need a villain. You know, we need somebody to be mad at. And so what do they do? You know, they were too scared to just you know, blaspheme God. You know, they weren't going to call out God. You know, that would have probably upset quite a few of the people. So what do they do? They make Amos out to be the bad guy. And isn't that what people do today? Even in religion today, when you show people what the Bible says, what do they do? They get mad at you and they got to attack, you know, instead of attacking the Bible, they want to attack you as an individual. You know, they want to attack the preacher that's preaching the truth from the Word of God. You know, why don't you just attack the Scripture? Why don't you just go ahead and admit that you don't like Second Thessalonians chapter two, and that you just you know why don't you just rip it from your Bibles? Tell everybody in your church to rip Second Thessalonians chapter two out of their Bibles. You know if you hate it that much, tell them to rip Romans nine out of their Bibles if you hate it that much. But no, they can't do that. We can't say the Bible's bad. That might wake people up. Let's just say Tommy McMurtry's bad. You know the preachers that are preaching, you know the truth on these things, they're the bad ones. You know, instead, you know, they can't just say, you know, you know, these trendies that are out there, they can't just get up and say, rip the entire Old Testament out of your Bible. You know, we can't have, you know, Deuteronomy 22.5 messing things up, you know, making people uncomfortable. You know, just, you know, instead of just saying, rip that out of the Bible, you know, well, let's just go ahead and adopt some of the dispensational teaching. You know, all oh, that was for another dispensation or that, you know, just it, it, it's it's nuts, but it's exactly what people do. And then what do they do if you actually start, you know, preaching from these things and showing what the Bible says? Then they just call you a legalist. They call you. They start calling you names. Why don't people just get honest and say they don't like the Bible? I wish I'd rather hear somebody do that. You know, at least you know the atheists will do that. At least the atheists, you know, they will just admit they don't like the Bible. They'll admit, you know, they 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 won't admit they hate God because you know God supposedly doesn't exist. But I mean, they're they're pretty close to it, and uh, but unfortunately today, you know, it's hard to deceive when you're being honest. You got to lie, you got and you got to twist things. And so Amos now all of a sudden 
the guy who's been going to bat for the Jews, the guy who's been trying to help, he is now the bad guy when this was not Amos's idea. Amos didn't pray for this. It was not his will. It was God's will that was about to be done. All he did was told them. All he did was relay the message. And you all heard the illustration before, you know, getting mad at the preacher for something he preaches is from the Word of God is just like beating up your mailman for bringing you a bill. Okay? It's not, it's not his fault. He's just delivering the mail. You can beat him up all you want. You still got to pay the bill. So look at verse 12. It says, Also Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go flee thee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and prophesy there, but prophesy not again any more at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel, and it is the king's court. So he's like, fine, you're going to side with Judah? Even though he was one of their people. Even though he was from their land. Even though he's trying to help them. Fine, if you're going to agree with God, why don't you go join those other people? Get out of here. You know, don't have, don't have anything to do with us. That was their attitude, just trying to run him out. Instead of just going to him and saying, and saying hey, what can we do? You know, instead of confessing their sins, instead of you know, just saying, hey, is there hope anywhere? Is there a sacrifice we can do? What can we do? Just let us know. What do they do? They're trying to run him out of there. They, and I forgot what week, uh, what week it was or what chapter it was, but we talked about it a while back how, uh, or no, it wasn't, it wasn't even in Amos. It was one of the messages I preached a while back, how often right before major judgment comes, in the Bible, we see the people just kind of at peace and tranquility and entertaining themselves. Entertainment is the last thing that goes before destruction comes. Because what are the things we like to comfort ourselves and just make us forget about things? Okay, the way we forget about trouble in America today is we stick our carcasses in front of a television and we watch somebody else's problems. You know, we go online, we surf the internet, we've got all these things to help us escape from reality. And prophets are a big problem, though, because prophets, they're going around proclaiming things, you know, preaching the truth, trying to wake people up, and people don't want to be waking out of their sleep. And they would rather, here in Israel, they would rather just sit comfortably and stuff in their faces, listening to their instruments like we talked about last week, just ignoring what's coming, than to have to get uncomfortable and actually start changing some things and maybe have to start moving to the southern kingdom and getting and, and getting right. Because the thing is, if they went to the southern kingdom, they're not going to let them bring their idols and all their abominations that they had accepted. And so what do they do? They're just like, you know what? Just leave us alone. Let me be at peace. Kind of the same thing too people do. I, we've seen it. I see it all the time when we're out soul winning. It's like at first, you know, there's people that are real nice. They want to talk to you. But it's like, you've, you've probably experienced it before. Where you start giving them the gospel, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're telling you all the wrong things. It's clear. Catholics are really bad about this. It's very clear that they're not saved. And it's like, you know when you're you're really winning the argument, when all of a sudden, they just don't want to talk anymore. You know, all all of a sudden, it's like, you know, I, I think we can get to heaven by being good as long as you're good. You know, you go to church, all this. And then when all of a sudden, you start proving to them from the Bible that that will not get you to heaven, all of a sudden they do. They just kind of clam up and then they shut you down. Then they don't want to talk to you anymore. And what do they, what do, they do? Then they retreat into their house and they just they, they don't want to hear about it. They just want to forget about it and act like you were never there. Just and They want to act like it never happened. And that's dangerous right there because those people, you know, think about it. Before we went to their house, they were on their way to hell, weren't they? And now, you know, what? It, but the thing is, they weren't worried about it. They were comfortable. They weren't even thinking about it. There was no problems. And then what did we do? We came up and we shook everything up. We made them uncomfortable. We made them uneasy. Because now they've been, they've been reminded that they're on their way to hell. That wasn't what they were hoping to hear. But here's the thing, though. Don't they deserve a chance? I mean, either, either way, they're on their way to hell. If people are going to go to hell, I would like for them to have at least been warned first. And I'm sorry if that makes people uncomfortable. But that is what we're doing with many people when we go out soul winning. The only thing we're going to succeed in doing is making them uncomfortable. And that's all Amos succeeded in doing with a lot of these people is making them uncomfortable. But you know what? That was Amos's job. That's what he was supposed to do. 
That's what God called for. That's what God wants. And God wants us to get that message out there. And that's exactly what we've got to do. And we're going to make a lot of people uncomfortable. We're going to make a lot of people mad. And they're going to do just like uh, like Amaziah did, where they's like, you know what? Get out of here. Go down to Judah. Then you know what they're going to tell us? They're going to tell us, get off, your, get off our property. Get away from here. You know why? Because they don't want to be reminded of what's to come. They want to just go back to just being comfortable and pretending that nothing, or the, pretending that everything's all right. So look at what it says. So in verse thirteen, it says, "But prophesy not again any more at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel and it is the king's court." Notice how they made the mistake of thinking it was their kingdom instead of God's kingdom. Okay, who gave Israel that land? It was God that gave them that land. God did that for them. It was God that brought them out of Egypt. It was God that had protected them from their enemies in the past. It was God that was supposed to be ruling over them. They were supposed to be being governed by the law of God. They were not supposed to have any gods before God. They were not supposed to be making any graven image. They were, they were not supposed to be doing all those things. But yet, here, the, here they come. God sends a prophet along and they're like, get out of here. This is our place. This is the king's chapel. And our king does not agree with what you're saying. Our king doesn't want to hear what you have to say. And so you know what? Just get out of here. Not really. They had no right to do that. And you know what? They tried. And you know what? They might have even succeeded in getting rid of Amos. But did it stop what was to come? Absolutely not. It, it did not stop it one bit. I saw. I remember, I think it was a year or two ago, maybe a couple years ago, when... Uh, a lot of the queers got mad at Pastor Anderson for some stuff he said. And I remember watching this thing in Arizona where there was like all these religions that came together. And remember that where they were all speaking against him and they're all giving these just stupid speeches against against him. And then they they had you know Jews there, they had Muslims there, and they had Christians there. And you know, and they're all just you know denouncing him and just you know talking about this has no place. In our city, and just you know, and if they could have legally, they would have they would have run him out of town. Legally, if they could have, they would have ran him out of their town. But you know what? At the same time, you know, while they're all agreeing, who you know that city does not belong to them. You know, this world is the Lord's. They ought to be thankful they got somebody in their city that's actually telling the truth, that's actually speaking truth. I mean, nations, people's lives are being destroyed by homosexuality. People's own lives, the diseases that are being spread, the, you know, the poor kids that are being molested and, and hurt by these people. And thank God somebody was there, but people have this attitude, no, this is our city. This is our community. We can kick God out if we want. And you know what? In the Bible, they did a pretty good job of killing the prophets when they didn't like what they had to say. They did a pretty good job of running people off that they that would say things that they didn't want to hear, but did it ever stop what was coming? Ne- never. And you know what? People, cities can they can try to run off the you know real Bible preachers. They can try to run off the real men of God, but you know what? It's not going to stop the fact that judgment is coming for them. And in the meantime, if they were if they had half a brain in their head. They'd be thankful that God has somebody there that's trying to reach that remnant and to spare them and interceding for them. And maybe, you know, I mean, who knows how many cities are out there that aren't being destroyed because of God's people that are in those cities. And the city that succeeds in running God's people out is a city that's in big trouble. In big big trouble. And so, look at verse 14. But, you know, it's the same thing in churches today, too. You know, many churches today, you know, the people think it's their church instead of God's church. You know, that's what happened in Pastor Boyle's church is people are like, well, you know, our church constitution says this. Okay, well, the Bible says this. You know, who cares what your church constitution says? The Bible says this, and they're wanting to throw him out on the grounds of you're violating the constitution. Not even trying to refute what he's saying from the scriptures, you know, using the constitution against him. Who cares what your constitution says? It's what the Bible says. We have a constitution here, but that's just something to give people an idea of what we're all about. In case somebody wants to know, you know, and and here, you know, here's 
Here's what we believe. But you know, if we find out something's wrong in our Constitution, we're going to change it. We're going to go with what the Bible has to say. The Bible is what's going to run things in our church. Because you know what? This isn't our church. It's God's church. Okay? Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. And unfortunately, many people have forgotten that. And many churches today are nothing more than just... They are. They're, they're nothing more than just these institutions completely governed by man. And God has nothing to do with those churches. And I and I, I believe churches like that too. Um, I, I don't believe God has anything to do with a church like that anymore. Any church that throws out their pastor like that, I, I don't believe God has anything to do with a place like that. But verse 14 says, Then answered Amos and said unto Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was an herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me and I followed the flock and the Lord said unto me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. <clears throat> so Amos has become the bad guy. When all he was doing, he had done was intercede for them. All he did was relay the message that God told him to relay. And they've now made him a bad guy. And they're wanting to run him out. And what does he tell them? He's like, hey, I wasn't a prophet. Okay? I wasn't a prophet's son. Here I, I'm just a, I'm just a herdman. I'm a gatherer of sycamore fruit. I'm just, I'm one of you. I'm just a nobody that God called and God gave a message to. I'm just relaying the message. And you know what? That's all any of us pastors are. That's all I am. Okay? I mean, yes, I'm a pastor's son, you know, too, I guess. But, you know, at the same time, you know, my dad's an ordinary person, too. All right? You know, we're, we're just, we're ordinary people. I, I, I'm, I said, I, I'm, I'm a pastor, but I'm just up here relaying the message. Okay? You know, you all know me and you've known me long enough to know that there's nothing really that special. I don't have any, you know, super exceptional skills. People have been asking me to do, you know, how, how many have seen my videos with my hidden talents? All right. I've got a few of those videos with my hidden talents. People keep asking when I'm going to do more. I'm like, oh, I'm all out. <laughs> I, I, I haven't got any more hidden talents. I can't think of anything else I can do. I still haven't seen anybody outdo me on the quarter trick. All right. And I got that from my dad. My dad taught me that one, and I don't know other people that can do that. And I've, I've yet to see anybody uh, duplicate that, so maybe I do got a little something special there. Uh, but that's about it, all right? I'm not going to change the world catching quarters like that. But, you know, that that's Amos' attitude, man. I'm, I'm nobody. You know, what, don't you, you know, people realize, hey, I've got nothing to gain here. I'm just a regular person. I'm one of your brethren. I'm just giving you the message that God gave me. That's all that he was doing. But you know what? They weren't going to listen. They weren't going to obey. And God is angry with those who disobey his prophets. And I'm going to be preaching on this Sunday morning probably a little bit. But just kind of a little sneak preview for Sunday morning's message. But, you know, the, the thing we've got, what's really special and great about the position we have today as soul winners, okay? Think about this. When Jesus came to this earth, okay? God sent His Son to this earth. Right? And why did He send Him? He sent Him to seek and to save that which was lost. And you know what? Nobody doubts. Nobody doubts when Jesus walked the earth that He got people saved, didn't He? He got a lot of people saved. Nobody doubts that at all. But you know, people often doubt it when we say we get people saved, don't we? But really, what is it that we're doing? Okay? All we're doing is we're, we're spreading the same message Jesus spread, didn't we? Yeah, but that was Jesus. You're you. Yes, but you know what? Just like God was sent by Jesus, we have been sent. Or Jesus was sent by God. We have been sent by Jesus. He's commanded us to do that. Jesus said, all power is given unto me. All power. He's got all power and all authority. And what did he do? He gave that to us. And do you realize that when people reject our message, okay, our message that we got from God, they're not rejecting us. They are rejecting God. Whenever we become the bad guys and they're going to be persecuting us, they're really persecuting God. Wasn't it, remember Saul, before he got saved, Saul of Tarsus? What did Jesus say? Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? What did Saul ever do to Jesus? He didn't do anything to Jesus, but he did to those who Jesus had sent out. He did do things to his servants. And these pe the people who reject us or who reject God's messengers 
are rejecting God. And I'll be talking a lot more about that on Sunday too. And there's some really interesting things in there too that we see about that. Just that authority we have too that will really, I think, will help us understand a lot of stuff what involves the Trinity too. But look what it says in verse 16. So verse 16 it says, Now therefore hear thou the word of the Lord, thou sayest, prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore thus saith the Lord, thy wife shall be an harlot in the city, and thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword, and thy land shall be divided by line, and thou shalt die in a polluted land, and Israel shall surely go into captivity uh, forth of his land. So right there, because you're going to reject the word of the Lord. They didn't reject Amos. They rejected God. Because of that, they were going to be destroyed. God, God was done with them. They were finished. And the lesson that we've got to learn here too from this is blame shifting doesn't work with God. It, there they are. Here they are. They're the bad guys. Amos, what's he doing? He's just telling them the truth. And what do they do? They try to make him to be the black out to be the bad guy. That's not going to work. Especially when Amos is just giving that message. And it is amazing the way the world always tries to make us to be the bad guy. You know, God has, I mean, God warned us in the Bible, in the Old Testament, referring, talking about Sodomites. The Bible says the land itself vomiteth out the inhabitants. Okay? Even back in the Bible days, that type of lifestyle, it caused diseases and things that, that would kill people. Yet, look at how it is today when we go out and we just tell people the truth of what God's Word says about homosexuality. We're now the bad guys? Really? We're the, we're the ones killing the people? And not the AIDS? You know, we're, we're the one, we're the, how, how are we the bad guys? And as much as they can try to make us out to be the bad guys and make us out to be the villains, it doesn't change the fact that they're still going to be destroyed. They're still going to die miserable deaths. There's still going to be all kinds of perversion and suffering that they're going to have to go through in their life. It doesn't, it doesn't change the reality of anything. And our country today, it's being destroyed because it's rejecting the word of the Lord. It's rejecting God's laws. Israel had a, big, a bad habit of trying to make the prophets out to be the bad guys. And in churches today, the people often try to make the pastor out to be the bad guy when he preaches something they don't like. But we need to understand... When God speaks through a man, we have to stop looking at the man and start looking at ourselves and to recognize that this, you know, that this message is for us. And you know what? Thank God He sent somebody to give it to us. You know what? Let's get right. Let's do the right thing. Let, let's make a difference. And we need, we need to start looking at preachers and we need to start looking at prophets and those who preach the truth. We need we ought to look at these people with great love and respect because of the fact they're they're helping us out. They're put. You know, I'll be honest. You know, I, I prefer being liked. You know, I I don't like being disliked. There's some people I like. I I want them to dislike me. All right. There's there's some people I don't want them to like me. Okay. But for the most part, I like being liked. Okay. And I think most pe I think most preachers feel that way. You know, nobody likes being the bad guy, but sometimes we have to. And whenever you know you're in, if you're in a situation, and you know you have to get that bad news. If as a pastor, I, if I ever have to rebuke you for anything, don't go all millennial and get all bent out of shape and start crying all over the place. You know what? Thank God that I was willing to tell you the truth and just say, you know what, and stop looking at me. I can't believe he said that. He's got this fault. He's got that fault. No, don't go shift in blames. The blame. You know what you need to do? Start looking at yourself and get right. God uses the pastor to do these type of things. You know, we're supposed to reprove and rebuke and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So just get right. If God's still speaking to you, that means there's hope. But if you're going to reject the word of the Lord, if you're going to reject the word of God, if you're going to reject the man of God, then, you know, I hope the last thing you see before judgment comes is my face. You know, and remembering me, me trying to tell you, me trying to warn you. And that's all Amos did. That's all Amos did. But he got the typical treatment the prophets always got. They wanted to run him off. Get out of here. Go down to the southern kingdom where you belong. And you know, but 
didn't do them any good. They got what was coming to them. But in the end, they had nothing to cry about. They had a chance. God sent them many, many prophets. And so when judgment came, they knew. And you know what? <clears throat> and I, and I, people that are in hell today, they know they're there because they deserve it. They know, I guarantee you, they remember the people who knocked on their doors. They remember the church services they sat in. They remember all the times the Holy Spirit spoke to their heart. They remember all the times the light of God shone in their life, but they loved darkness rather than light. They remember those times. And that the people that are in hell today are there because they asked for it. Despite all that God did for them. Despite God sending His Son. Giving His Son. They still rejected. And it's their own fault. And I personally believe even millennials who blame everyone for everything and never take responsible responsibility for anything, I believe even millennials when they go to hell, are going to know they're there and it's their fault. And because there's been, there's been plenty of opportunities. So anyway, I hope that was a blessing to you. Amos chapter 7. So let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the many warnings we get, you give us. Like we thank you for the, uh, the, the preachers you send our way that, that speak the truth, that warn us. And Lord, I pray you'll help us to uh, heed those warnings, and I pray you'll help us to uh, love those who preach the truth to us and tell us those things that we, we don't want to hear. I pray you'll help us to just have uh, a, a soft heart, Lord, and you'll help us to uh, get right when we hear these things and not be stiff-necked and stubborn and have a heart of stone like the children of Israel did. And I just pray uh, you'll bless uh, everyone in that. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and stand. Let's go ahead and sing page 400. And 55 for closing him, my Jesus, I love thee.